Hello and welcome to episode 161 of Page One, the writer's podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. And thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing journeys, find out how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. And we have got a great back catalogue of guests there, so please do go and check that out. You can also come and watch us live in a few weeks uh, at Chimera Festival in Edinburgh, which is a science fiction fantasy and horror festival which has an array of brilliant guests but we are doing a live podcast recording with the brilliant uh, rj barker author of the bone ships the tickets are free you do need a ticket but the tickets are free the best type of tickets exactly so you can uh, i'll put a link in the podcast description and you can click on that and, and come along if you're in town because that would be great and it won't just be me, Tarek, and RJ sitting there in the name to all. So that, so that would be awesome. Echoey, echoey recording sound of nobody else there to absorb the sound waves. So the echoey Exa- sounds, the word, you e- know, that no one turned up. Exactly. So um, if, you, if, you, if that sounds of interest, please check that out. The other thing that I'm going to plug at this point is that we also have a new podcast, which is a, a video podcast. You can watch it on YouTube or listen to it on your favourite podcast app called Page One Extra, which focuses more on the writing news side of things. Uh, we cover a range of stories. Sometimes we focus on a specific story. Our most recent episode is focusing on the writer's strike in America, and we had a brilliant guest, C. Robert Cargill, screenwriter of Doctor Strange, Sinister and the Black Phone, telling us about why it's happening so please do go and check that out if you haven't already and we'll have another episode of page one extra tackling the big stories in writing very shortly but enough of that enough housekeeping we have a great guest this week we do indeed as always this week we are chatting with the fantastic louise swanson aka louise beach Uh, she's written a number of books under the name louise beach um, which is her actual name, I understand, yeah. ranging from uh, romance to crime. Uh, and she is back with End of Story, which is her latest novel under Louise Swanson. So I suppose it's kind of a soft relaunch. And this is a more of a science fictiony, dystopian yeah. future novel. Yeah, dystopian sort of speculative thriller, which, which yeah. sounds really great. And um, yeah, we talked to her about, you know, why she's why she's written this one under a different name, which I think is to do with the different type of book that it is and also the fact that it's published under a different publisher Um, but uh, we talked to her about you know that difficult journey and getting published the first time and how she sort of grabbed a chance she saw a tweet on on twitter and uh, from arenda publishing and tweeted at them with a pitch and then that's how she basically got picked up which which is incredible Um, and the sort of sort of story that that you want and unfortunately is an advert for actually paying attention to social media <laughs> to try and grab <laughs> and, such and, opportunities. You know, is that kind of example we've, we've seen before of, it seems like it, a simple response or a tweet got things going, but obviously in the background you had all those months and years of work ready. So when Absolutely. that opportunity yeah. was there, you were ready to jump on it. And that's the key is getting yourself as prepared as best you can for when someone says, send me your stuff and you've got yeah. stuff to send. Definitely, definitely. So we'll get straight into it uh, and we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest. But for now, on with the podcast. Page one. 
The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? Because I think I, I read on your website that you wanted to be a writer even before you could hold a pen. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> that sounds... Um... I suppose a little bit pretentious almost, doesn't it? But I didn't quite mean it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I did literally mean uh, before I could physically write, which is when we're about sort of five or six, isn't it? Before I could physically write, I used to, you know, make stories up. Um, I can remember being about, I would have been three because my twin sisters weren't born yet. And I can remember we were in Wales sitting in the back seat of a car and making stories up, looking out the window about the sky and the trees. And I know I was only three and I did it that young. So so I guess there was this innate storyteller that was always there, yes. Great. And and so at what stage did that that those young ambitions start to start to take more shape? Um well as most writers are when they're younger, I was a, a very, very big reader. Um, so I devoured books. And every book that I read when I was a child, I used to think I could write that or, you know, <laughs> not, not, not in an arrogant way, genuinely. Good. Good. <laughs> yes, it is good. It is good. You do need self-belief. And I kind of, <laughs> I kind of did have it even at that age. Um, uh, I loved, uh, for example, Heidi. I read that and I literally wrote my own sequel. I did the drawings. I did the chapters. Um, I, I don't know if it was any good. I, I wish I still had it. Um, so I'd say probably about eight when kind of you're a, you're quite a competent writer by the age of eight, aren't you, where you can you know put words together. By the age of eight, I was filling 
notepads and then it went on through my teen years um the teachers used to hate me because if they set us an assignment of a short story I would fill an exercise book and <laughs> <laughs> obviously they had to mark that um so so they, they got a little bit annoyed with me and then I ended up you know editing the school magazine that kind of thing so so yeah it was it was always there and you you see in your website that you wrote your first novel at 14 so I have to ask what was that book about Okay, um, that was a book about first love, which I hadn't yet experienced. So I don't know why I thought I could write that. <laughs> Confidence um, again is coming through. Again, like yeah, imagination. <laughs> and it's it was about a young girl who falls in love with this boy who's got a motorbike. Um, sorry, no, he hasn't got one. He wants one. And she gets uh, a Saturday job to save up and buy him one to win his love. And her parents are getting divorced. Now, that did come from real life the the other part didn't so I suppose it was half made up half reflecting my own life which is something I kind of still do (laughs) and and am I right in saying that your first job when you started getting paid for writing was when you had a column for your local newspaper I did yes that just came about through luck, which kind of tends to happen to me um, by a bit of cheek. That's another thing that I tend to be a bit cheeky. <laughs> um, I, when I had my two children, I just started writing these little articles, kind of comical things, but a bit emotional, just about being a mum and the things that kids get up to. And when I'd done a few, my friends said, these are really funny and, and clever and identifiable and people will read them and think, oh, I've been through that. So I just sent them to our, at first I sent them to our local free newspaper that comes through the door. Um, And the editor there just said, these are lovely. Do you think you could write a column every week? And it was unpaid in the free paper. And then after about five years, the local newspaper cottoned onto it and they kind of stole me, but they paid me. So obviously I went. (laughs) (laughs) And and then it became a paid column for the the rest of the duration. The whole column lasted 10 years i wrote something every wow. week for 10 years well wow. i just I see i've always wondered that about a column writer as how do you would you ever get stressed about not coming up with a topic for the next game week i did and i used to cheat i used to ask my friends what their kids had been up to oh, okay. you know what nice. i mean or or i might exaggerate a very small story so that it was a bigger story when things are happening with your kids are you are you pulling out your notebook and saying right this is annoying me just now but i'm going to write this down this is gold yeah Yeah. (laughs) i literally did they'd say one funny thing and i'd just be thinking yeah don't forget that louise we'll use that one yeah (laughs) and i mean that must have been a really big turning point for you as a writer because it was the first time you're getting paid and it's a kind of recognition and you must have learned so much during that period i did uh because it was 500 words so I learned how to sort of hit that target. I came, I kind of came, it ended up after doing it for so long, but it naturally happened. And obviously a deadline, you know, I had to get it in by, I believe it was the Tuesday for the Friday, if I remember well. Um, and then knowing what to include, what not to include. So yes, it was, it was a real lesson. And a lot of that has stayed with me, as in I'm still quite strict with myself, with my fiction writing. Um yeah, and it was fantastic to see it in print, obviously. You know, anybody who's an aspiring writer, to see their words printed and have people read those words was amazing. And and were you working on fiction at that time as well? Um, I, let me think, years-wise. The column finished in 2001, and I was writing short stories around that era. I hadn't written my first shall we say full-length proper novel where I knew I'd send it out but I was kind of perfecting the form of the short story and that 
gave me confidence as in um, I started winning a few competitions and had a few publishing magazines and that was when I thought maybe you know maybe now let's go for the big one a novel (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but 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 on the short stories I mean you know that it's a real skill to Mm -hmm. write short stories it's almost a different skill from writing novels Um, and you know some people find the short stories are, are where they where they can thrive and others you know can write a whole novel but then really struggle with with the short form I mean how do you differentiate between the two and are there transferable skills apart from the obvious writing aspect of it yeah um they are because obviously um, a short story is kind of a snapshot whereas obviously a novel is is the full thing so Mm -hmm. you've got to really prune your words with a short story and really I kind of think of a short story I suppose is a moment um, you know, you're, you're not going to have 28 characters and great development in a short story. You're better off with a handful of characters um, and just a moment in time. Um, so it's a good lesson for editing tightly, absolutely. But I haven't um, written that many short stories for quite a while. And then I had to recently for a magazine. And it was weird to go back to that. I'd, I'd almost forgotten the skill, if you know mm. what I mean. But yeah, yeah. it did come back. Um, I did a few last year and, and, and I've just had to do another one and the, it's muscle memory it's like riding mm-hmm. a bike almost you know what totally. I mean yeah, yeah it, it came back to me and I thought oh, I quite enjoy this I feel like for want of a better word I'm having a break doing this and I'm not saying it's easier to write a short story it isn't it's just the length of time obviously yeah, it's faster, isn't it? Isn't it? yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly yeah <laughs> a, a short story as well or short stories can give you a chance to experiment maybe in a way that you that isn't as easy with a novel because mm. you have to dedicate 60,000 words <laughs> if you want to experiment with that or whatever. That's very true. 3,000 words is a lot easier to play with, isn't it, than yeah. 80,000 words. <laughs> um, but the, the best thing about the, some of the short stories is that uh, the ones that I really, really love that stayed with me, a, a few of them actually became... ended up being developed into my novels so a few of my novels were short stories that Mm. wouldn't leave me um and I felt like they needed a bigger bigger attention they deserved more yeah well well, let's chat about your kind of move in from short stories into novel writing um because the first novel you wrote was Maria in the Moon and and I kind of first question is what made you want to make that shift into full-length novels and how did you find it so, yeah, Maria in the Moon, wow. Um, as you guys probably know already, it was the first one I wrote, which you correctly said, but it wasn't the first one that got published. <laughs> no, um, <that's> right. <laughs> but yes, it was. And it was back in um, 2007. And the only reason I know that so precisely is because of the surroundings of writing it. So uh, I lived just outside Hull and we were flooded that year and we had to leave our house. Uh, and we had to live in this awful makeshift house. We'd lost a lot of our furniture. So so that had happened, which was quite traumatic. And then about three weeks after that, our seven-year-old daughter got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and and it was really shocking. I mean, we almost lost her. And so I gave my job up in travel to care for her because we had to give her round-the-clock injections, and I didn't want anyone but me to do that. Um, So suddenly I'm at home in the day when she's at school, I'm living in this house that I kind of hate while our house is being rebuilt. And I felt like the universe has kind of handed me this time and this chance to finally write a book. And so it is set during some floods because it was inspired by that. And I feel like 
the trauma of what was going on kind of fueled my passion um, for writing this book. So although it's quite dark, it's very hopeful. And yeah, if I look back on some of what I might call my favourite books, they were they were written during dark, difficult times. So I feel like the tension of going through something like that, I don't know, there's something about my creative output that it fuels. And I, it's it's a strange thing. It's a good thing, I suppose. Maybe it's because it's a, a, bit, a bit like therapy. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah, I suppose, you know, that's often when people say that the best writing comes from when you're completely honest and willing to, you know, mm. bear your soul almost. And I suppose in those yeah. times, as hard as they are, that that is something that, that can happen if you're a writer. Um, and mm. I, I think I'm right in saying that um, although Maria and the Moon didn't get published, it did land you your agent. Is that correct? Yeah. Oh wow. You guys certainly do your research. You know me more than I know me. Yeah. Weirdly. <laughs> yes, I did actually. Eventually, it took some doing. I did get an agent um, for Maria in the Moon, but she she couldn't get a deal for that one. And then I wrote a book called Mountain in My Shoe, and she couldn't get a deal for that either. And then sadly, when I finally wrote. Um, how to be brave she retired and so I was on my own again if, the, if that makes sense and so mm. then I was just trying to put the books out there so long story short how to be brave was the fourth book I wrote but that was the one that eventually got my book deal in 2015 yeah. right and and through that period when you know you'd you, you kind of signed with, with your agent and you kind of probably thought this is it we're finally you know making making traction here we go and then to have that kind of stumbling block and then have it again with the mountain in my shoe and then again when she retires. I mean, obviously as a writer, I think everyone has to deal with a lot of rejection and that's part of the job. But what was your, you know, how do you deal with that kind of rejection on that level? So rejections, yeah, are a really um, tough thing to deal with. And obviously I had quite a few because, uh, as I said, I wrote Maria in 2007 and my debut ended up being how to be brave which was the fourth book i wrote in 2015 so that's eight years of uh being rejected by well every single publisher that i sent them to and so obviously a lot of people said to me how did you go on and then write another book and write another book when you're getting rejected like mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. and i don't know that each, each the first rejection i had i admit i cried i had a big tantrum like this is outrageous <laughs> you know how can you um and then after that, I, if I ever got um, a critique, I used that. And I kind of used it as the fuel to just drive me. And I, I ended up thinking that if I stop, I will never get published. But if I keep going, I might get published. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's Does right. that make sense? Yeah. No, no, it does. Yeah. It's, it's one of these sort of things that, that writers say, and it, it sounds almost trite but it's true you know if if yeah. you're not if mm. you're not writing yeah. anything then you've got no chance of being published so um i think i think it's we true had, <laughs> we had uh, matt arledge on on the podcast a while ago and he said you've you've just got to keep going until someone says yes essentially so um it is it's a difficult yes. thing to do but <laughs> but you know that, yeah. that that's if, if if it is your dream if it's what you feel you want to do or need to do then then that that's it and and How to Be Brave, I think, was one of those ones. You mentioned earlier that some of your short stories became novels and How to Be Brave was one of those. Is that right? 
It was indeed, yes. It um, it began, first of all, as a short story. And it um, that one actually didn't get published, weirdly. It did after the fact. Uh, it got published in the Irish Times after the book had been right, released. Okay. But, yeah, it wasn't one of, like, you know, my successful short stories. But it was a story that... I did know one day would be a bigger story. Um, mm. the, the only reason I waited to write it was I, I felt like I had to be good enough, if that makes sense. I felt like that shouldn't be the first book I write. Because yeah. basically the essence of the story, you guys probably know, is that I said earlier that my daughter got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And when she had a really bad phase where she wouldn't have her injections, which is uh, they're life-sustaining, she's got to have them. And it was a horrific time. And the only way I could persuade her to have them was to tell her stories. And so... We, we shared stories and she kept saying to me, these are not very good, mum, because obviously I don't do children's stories. And in the end, I told her the true life story of my grandfather who was lost at sea during the war. And I fed her a little bit of this story each time she had an injection just to ease her into it. And it was so empowering and we bonded so much that I knew that had to be a story one day. And so I did it as a short story first. And then I eventually felt I had the confidence when I was writing book four to finally write that as a full-length novel yeah yeah and 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 once you you know you, you went through all this process and you had um how to be brave and am i right in saying that you ended up getting that book uh put out by arenda books to, uh, without an agent you just yeah. went to them and you submitted it to them straight away yeah and is that something again you'd recommend it was a bit cheeky i mean <laughs> um it... <laughs> It really depends. I think you can be cheeky as long as you're professional, if that makes mm. sense. I think you, you don't be pushy and um, or rude or anything like that. But the way it happened was that Arenda were just starting up and um, Karen Sullivan at Arenda had just shared a tweet saying they were starting up, that they were an indie and that they were just looking for these books that were beautiful but didn't fit in a genre. And I just mm. thought, well, that's what I write. I, I don't mm. write genre books. And so I just tweeted back and gave her a little bit of the story and just said, I don't suppose you'd read it. And she said, yes. And it was that simple. But w- would I recommend that on Twitter? I don't know, because probably most publishers wouldn't. They'd probably say, you know, get an agent or. So it was a bit of luck and timing and seeing that tweet. But I do believe in grabbing a chance if you see it. Do you know what I mean? When, the, yeah. when you feel the moment's right and you feel like I've got nothing to lose here. As long as you're professional, you know, why not? And and as we've we've chatted to folk in the in the past who you know, I guess some people might look at that kind of situation and think, well, that was what were the chances. There's a tweet went out, you you sent it in, boom. But you know, but the background to that is that you've had three four books written. You had to have a book ready to go at the moment the tweet was sent out. So a lot of it is kind of, although there is some luck in, involved in it, it's and for in the timing sense, there's also a lot of. Um, of, of work in the background to getting ready to take advantage of that opportunity, I think. Yes, definitely. Um, that's the thing about luck, isn't it? We, we call it luck. And then I sometimes get annoyed with myself when I call it luck because I do feel like, hang on a minute, like you've just said, I've done all this work. It isn't luck because luck does, certainly doesn't knock on your door. I do mm. believe you have to create your own luck. Yeah. So I suppose it, the key is to have a keen eye for these opportunities if they occur. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think that's right. And actually, of course, the other thing is that when this when how to be brave gets picked up you've got these other books ready to ready to go almost um and i think um yeah. the previous books did go on to be published so um in terms of a, 
you know, from a commercial point of view, from a render's um, standpoint, that also must have made it a slightly attractive proposition to them as well. If if there was, they may, have, I'm not sure if they knew or not that you had these other books ready, but you know, they, 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 we spoke to Karen on the podcast and she very much said that she's someone that likes to invest in her authors. Um, and, you know, having, knowing that it's not just a one-off novel that they're publishing will help persuade people like that to, to give you a chance, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, when it was about to be published, she did say to me, "You don't have you written another? Have you written anything else?" And I did laugh and say, "Well, now you mention it, you know, <laughs> three others sitting sitting in a folder somewhere, and those three did go on to be published." And then um, about a year in, I obviously then thought, and I should start writing something else, and I love writing anyway, obviously. So then I started writing the ones that followed those, and um, eight books with a render. I don't know yeah. where that's gone. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, I mean, you, you look at your output, you know, it's pretty much a book a year that you've put out, yeah. really, ever since 2015. Uh, you know, it's mm. it, incredibly prolific, I think it's fair to say. And, and I wonder if we could chat for a little bit about your process and, and what is, how do you write your books? Do you plan them? Do you pants them? You know, do you treat it like a nine to five job? Mm-hmm. What's your routine? When it comes to the nine to five job, yes, I do treat it like that in terms of, you know, getting my backside set in the sat in the uh, chair at the desk. Mm-hmm. In that regard, it's um, it's work. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I do my morning walk and I'm there and I'm writing. When it comes to the actual writing, I am not uh, I don't plot. I have um, I have a notepad and I have loose ideas but you know these amazing writers who have these whiteboards, don't they? And the post-its yeah. and and Excel sheets. And I'm yeah. like, oh my word! I really admire them, and I'm absolutely fascinated by that. But that's not remotely how I work. If you looked at my desk when I'm writing, there's just the uh, computer, there's me, and there's a small notepad, and that is all for an entire novel. I don't mm-hmm. do any any of that other stuff. And I don't know how. It's a very hard process to explain if you don't plot. Like I say, I, I usually have a vague idea of who the characters are, and this is going to loosely happen. But I don't think I've ever known the ending until I've got there. I like to kind of just set off almost as if you're going into a cave with a sort of a lamp on a torch you've got a bag of sandwiches you've got no map you know and you just go in and let's just see what happens <laughs> but like that yeah. as as someone I'm, I'm i view more towards the planning side of things and you know as someone that doesn't do that that, that does have a plan how do you know right this idea is the one that i'm going to explore you know how how, how does an idea become enough to say, right, I'm going to try and write a novel from this one. Yeah, I suppose it's the one that haunts me because I usually have a few on the go and I, and I might write a few notes of that idea, you know, in a book. And um, there's usually just one that's almost like this little toddler, you know, pulling on your hand, almost like, write me, write me. Yeah, um, yeah that's the best way I can describe it, really. The, the, the one that I'm just drawn to and I suppose the one that excites me and the one where I kind of want to find out what happens because i don't know yet you see because i don't plot so um yeah that's how <laughs> and and with that process with since you're since you're writing without the plan i mean how long does it take you to get that first draft done is the first draft something that you're you sort of push through to the end and then 
do a lot of revision on the second draft or is it quite a clean first draft that you end up with? It really varies. The quickest book I ever wrote took um, three months and the longest took 11. And that maybe depends how much research there is. Um, Yeah, if I'm writing a a book that I really know because it's kind of something inspired by my own life, that's usually the faster one. And then when I wrote a book called This Is How We Are Human, it was inspired by a young autistic man that I know. And I had to do a lot of kind of, I had to interview him and get him to read each chapter and help me. So that one took, um, yeah, a long time. Um, yeah. What was the, what was the question again? No, it was, it was just about, uh, the drafting process. Like, do yeah. you, do yeah. you push through to get a first draft done and then oh, rework yeah. that or, or do you revise as you go? I do edit as I go um, cause I'm, <laughs> because I'm really OCD in my house and I keep everything really tidy. I like to kind of keep the words tidy as well. So I will write for the day, uh, let's say, I don't know, four or five hours. And then the last hour of writing is kind of going back and reading it aloud and tinkering. And then the next day, the way I get back into it is I read maybe the last chapter that I wrote the day before okay. and mm-hmm. I'll tinker with it when I read it. So, yeah, I, I do edit as I go, and therefore the first draft, obviously, is nowhere near perfect. But um, before I send it to my agent, I will read the whole thing. I'll get some beta readers to have a look and take their advice on board. So there's maybe maybe two more rewrites before I'd let someone like my agent see it. Yeah. And your latest book is uh, End of Story, which is out March 2023, so next month at time of recording. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what that book's about? Okay, that's um, probably the biggest departure from anything that I've ever written. I mean, all of my books are very different because I do I do genre hop. I am genre fluid, as I call it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um <laughs> This one, I know that a lot of writers are now talking about these because it's a big thing that's happening, but this book was my lockdown book. Um, and anyone who reads it can probably tell. So it's um, it, it's it's a dystopian, um, they're calling it a speculative thriller, which um, it came about during lockdown because I'd always fancied writing something a bit dystopian, but I didn't know if I could. And then obviously we're living in this very almost dystopian world and also the year before I'd had um, this horrific family tragedy and I'd written my memoir because uh, my mum my jumped off the Hummer Bridge in 2019. She did survive and, and she is okay now. And mm. yeah, so I had that happen just before lockdown as well. And I'd written a memoir about that. And so I was, I was kind of in a very raw, open, probably angry place and we're in lockdown. And then Rishi Sunak did his... Um, thing about how everybody in the arts should just retrain you know because the theatres were shut and all of that I was really angry and I thought what would the world be like if we did not have stories because that is the only thing we've got while we're in lockdown we're watching Netflix we're reading books and I said this to my husband and he said because I said to him what would the world be like and he said Louise write that write it what would it be like and so I, I created a world that's 2035 um and all fiction has been banned by the government. Um, we've got a main character called Fern Dostoy, who was one of the biggest writers in the late 20s. And her and three other female writers were called The Big Four. And their books were quite controversial and got a lot of discussion on a lot of issues going. 
And as a result, all Fitchland ended up being banned. So Fern now um, works in a hospital as a cleaner. She's not allowed to write. She has visits from the government um, every so often to check that she's not. You can go to prison if you write. If you read fairy tales to your children, they can be taken off you. And wow. it's That's a fantastic premise, I have to say. I do, it's I do a, love the sound It's of a dark that. world. Oh, it's a dark world. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I really hope it never happens. You know, I really do. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a huge, huge departure. Completely different. <laughs> and and it's a book that is published under a different name as well. You, you've published it under Louise Swanson instead of Louise Beach. Mm. Um, why, why did you make that decision? Because as you say, your books aren't stuck in one particular genre, which is often the reason that we see authors take on a pen name um so what was the thinking behind that yeah it was it was both because it was dystopian and it's a different publisher and so you know every publisher works differently and they said that it they felt that it was so different to the louise beach books because although they are different to each other they said there is a certain sort of element and thread to them all that is Louise Beach. And they said, this is just so different to those. Do you fancy having a pen name? So it wasn't that I had to. They just suggested it. But once they suggested it, I thought, oh, that could be fun. And uh, <laughs> I did think I'll keep the Louise because, I, you know, what I feared is somebody asking me to sign a book and I would have forgotten what the name was. Oh, yeah. So uh-huh. I thought, I'll keep <laughs> I'll keep Louise. And then that makes it nice and easy. Have it, uh, <laughs> and, it, and it's just kind of it, it's, it's a bit fun. And um, yeah. So, so, yeah, that's how that came about. And, and how did you how did you we've asked other authors this? How did you pick the, the name? Well, I am a huge, huge, huge Marilyn Monroe fan. And at first I says to my husband, oh, you know, Louise Monroe. And he says, oh, come on, Louise, you can't, you can't. Yeah, that's so obvious. And so then I was just looking at some of the older film stars from Hollywood and the names they had and and Gloria Swanson. And I thought, oh, I really like that surname. And I practiced signing it just to see what it looked like. And it and it just felt nice to write. And it just kind of sounded a bit glamorous. And I thought, yeah, we'll go for that. Yeah, <laughs> and am I right in saying that... Um... End of story is not with Arenda. That's right. Yes, it's uh, that'll be published with Hodder. So, so, um, so as as a writer, kind of, kind of, kind of juggles two two separate deals, etc. Different different people putting, putting putting the books out there. Is that something which quite a lot of authors do? Is, is that something which people should not be scared of? You know, being staying with one person forever, or maybe trying to trying to have two or three people on the go at the same time. Yeah, I've noticed quite an increase in it, to be fair. And the the sad thing is, part of me is just wondering if it's because, you know, the general author for incomes, there was a big article recently in one of the papers, yeah. wasn't there, is mm-hmm. is dropping. And, and it's very hard for writers um, to make a living. And a lot of people say to me, oh, you must be doing so well, Louise, you've got X amount of books out, this, that, the other. I'm like, you would be surprised. You really would. Until last year, I, I had another job. Um and so partly writers might be doing it for that reason, but maybe it's just becoming the norm. I mean, I know quite a few writers who, uh, one great example, I don't know if you've had him on your podcast, if you haven't, he would be great to speak to, but John Mars, he he writes um, psychological thrillers for an Amazon publisher, mm-hmm. and he writes his dystopian books for Pan Macmillan, mm-hmm. and that's just what he does. And I know a few other people who do that. So I guess it's a way to maybe write in different styles and and yeah just to yeah to boost bless us to boost our incomes <laughs> and and is there are you planning another louise swanson book as well 
well it is a two book deal so yeah so i have just finished literally two weeks ago what i hope to be booked to and i'm just waiting for my agent to let me know so watch this space fingers crossed we shall see i hope i hope it is excellent (laughs) and and uh, your memoir as well uh, is coming out as well this year i think you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah, so that's coming out on the twenty second. Tw- sorry, the twenty seventh of April, and and as I said earlier, that I wrote that I also wrote in half of it in lockdown. Weirdly, so um, yeah, so so in two thousand and nineteen, as I said earlier, my mum jumped off Thelma Bridge, and for about six months, obviously the whole family were just dealing with that. And then at the end of um, two thousand and nineteen, I kind of had always wanted to write a memoir because we we had a really, really, really difficult childhood. We were in and out of care. Um, my mum is an alcoholic. Um, so I, I'd always wanted to, but I knew as a storyteller, I knew I needed a great hook and a great premise. And I, I, I obviously thought as a writer, oh my word, you know, the bridge jump, that's what an opening to a book, you know, what an opening to a story. So I started writing it and I, I had um, two timelines, the present day of my mum and what had happened, and then flashbacks to our childhood. And halfway through writing it, COVID started to happen. So I ended up with this third timeline of the now now. And it's eerie to read it now because, you know, there are these short chapters where I'm talking about this strange illness and people are actually dying from it. and, (laughs) And it unfolds as I tell the story. So it's kind of chronicles that... And I, I didn't know if I would have sub, was going to submit it when it was finished. You know what I mean? It was partly just mm-hmm. therapy for me. Um, and I got my beta readers to read it and, and everything. And they said, I really think people would read this and it could help a lot of people going through that. And, and so there, there you go. So I did in the end. And yes, it's coming out on the 27th of April called 18 wow. Seconds. And, and, and you've said as well, a couple of times you, you've got your beta readers. Uh, how, how did you find them um the the immediate ones are my sisters because they're both obviously they're likely to be biased so i do tell them to be harsh with me one sister is really good at being harsh the other not so much (laughs) one of them is really sweet and doesn't the other one is very blunt which is good and then it's friends and then now that i i've been published i've got writer friends which is great so a couple of them there's um a lovely lady called madeline black who wrote a memoir called unbroken she always reads my books john mars is a great he he always he's my main beta reader and he's good at giving really honest feedback so it's just a small group of people like that and and i'll maybe ask them questions you know did that work what did you mm-hmm. think at that point and mm-hmm. and and i do listen to them because um I think you have to. You have to listen to these people because those are the readers, um, and you have to take on board what they say. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think feedback is is vital as a writer, but yeah. I think also there's a danger that, that at least at the start of it, you you can sometimes think that you have to take every single point on board, or they're right mm-hmm. about every single thing. And I think the important thing is to a get you know a range of views, but b let it sit and and sort of let it distill into what what it, you think actually needs to be done to to make your yeah. story better. That's a really good point. I, I, if all my beta readers say the same thing, I mm. know that that bit needs work. So if they mm-hmm. all said that bit doesn't work, you have to think right. They all said that, 
Um, but if there's a mixture, that's the tricky one because it's deciding, yeah. oh, they didn't think that and they did. And then I think you just ultimately have to make the final decision as the writer and, and yeah. um, you know, go with what your instinct is, I suppose. Yeah. And something interesting, which on that note, which someone had said that we spoke to before was, and I'd be interested to see if you agree with this or not, which was that often if you get a bunch of people saying, you know, okay, this part, something doesn't work and this, the, say the twist doesn't make any sense or it feels a bit forced or whatever. And they say, this is, they can tell you why they think it isn't working. And often, even if you take on board the problem, you don't necessarily have to take on board the solution. Like often you know the book better than anyone and, and they might say, oh, this, this feels wrong. But you think, well, actually the problem is, at the start of the book you know i haven't set up or i haven't mm. or he's acting up character i need to set you know there's other changes you, that you need to make to make it work so it, it's not just enough to say what's wrong with it but it's also it's up to you to to know how to fix it rather than anyone else yeah you're absolutely right and and a, and a lot of the time for me the problem ends up being it's quite a common thing and i'm hopefully getting better at this now is the motivation of the character i okay. often haven't shown that well enough because i've presumed the reader knows and, mm-hmm. and people have said to me no louise you you haven't made clear that um i don't know this character has an issue with this thing you haven't you've just presumed we know louise and and as a writer sometimes you do have to tell it straight to your readers yeah. so that they know don't don't you you know with, with maybe without being heavy-handed but but you do. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, that can be really helpful. So um, we've got two books coming out this year. Yeah. Um, you've got the <laughs> second book potentially handed into your agent in, in yeah. terms of the Louise Swanson deal. What yeah. else is in the pipeline, if anything? I don't know if this one's in the pipeline. This um, I wrote, Before I wrote the book I've just written as Swanson, um, I wrote what I just call a love project because a bit like the memoir almost where I just wrote it for me because it's something I've always wanted to write. And I, I don't know what's going to happen with it. But basically, as I said earlier, I've, I've, I've been a Marilyn Monroe fan since I was like 12. And I've always wanted to write something about her. I just didn't know what because obviously she's a real life figure. So, you know, that's a bit different to writing fiction. And so I, I, wrote, I wrote a book about her but what would have happened if she hadn't died the night she died what life she might have had so then it is fiction but I'm using a real life character um so I'm I don't know where on earth that would fit because obviously it's um it's not a biography because you know it's it's me imagining a life for her so I really don't know what would happen with that but it's written so we'll just say that could be that could be very interesting yeah obviously you do get these books that play with historical yeah figures and what ifs i don't I, i've not actually watched the netflix film but obviously there was stuff around oh. that as well I don't oh know I, I it's really weird i was already <laughs> writing it when that, that came out i think i was about a month in and and i it, that really fueled me even more because mm-hmm. I, I thought that oh, the shame is the actress was really good i mean mm-hmm. she definitely deserved her bafta nomination she was phenomenal she she looked and sounded like a but the actual film and the script, it oh, it just turned my stomach. It was, it was almost like the sad thing is back in the day, you know, she was over sexualized and um, abused by the system, and it almost felt like that was done to her again in this film. If that mm. makes sense, it was okay. That's interesting. It, yeah. it was insensitive. It was graphic where it didn't need to be. A bit tasteless. And I wa- I wanted to present the Marilyn that I've read in books who mm-hmm. was a really intelligent woman, a really sensitive woman, who um, she, she wasn't a victim. I, I, I don't like that word. I don't think she was 
And I just want to present a woman like that, and I'm really hoping that I have to. Excellent. Well, uh, we hope to see that one. Uh, yeah, let's shortly. see. Let's see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What was the last book that you read? The last, so the, I'm thinking, I'm looking at the one that I have. I'm So not the one I'm reading now, the one before that, or are you happy with the one I'm reading Whatever now? Whatever one you want is fine, yeah. Right, let me just, hang on a minute. I'm just going to lean and get it because I've forgotten what the title is. <laughs> no, that sounds terrible, right? No, I have brain fog. It's like, oh. on the spot and it's just... Okay, it's right. It's called I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McManara. Oh, yeah. And it was, oh, yeah. have you read it? Yeah, it's a fantastic Oh book. my God. It. It's my one of my first times reading true crime. It's not something, I love writing, you know, reading um, fictional crime novels, but mm. it was recommended to me. I did a podcast about two weeks ago with Janice Hallett, who love her books. And we each had to recommend a book. We had mm. to sort of sell this book. And she talked about that and it sounded so amazing that I literally went online and bought it there and then. (laughs) And I've been reading it coming home today on the train. I cannot put it down, isn't it? Brilliant. So so creepy. There's a documentary. If you once you read it, I would watch it, which is fantastic. And it's kind of, it goes well as a companion piece once Mm. you finished it, because it has kind of her husband, et cetera, involved in it. It's, Mm. it's, It's very interesting. Yeah, I, I'm I'm just over halfway. I mean, the really sad thing is I I kind of know what's going to happen because I do know I know that you know she's not alive anymore mm-hmm. and and all of that. But it's still one of those where that doesn't matter because you're still just compelled. What a writer she was and what a loss, yeah. isn't it? No, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, what about the last film that you watched then? The last film that I watched. Oh my word! I don't. I actually tend to watch series um and that kind of thing let's just say the uh the recent marilyn monroe film let's say it was that one and that wasn't a very good experience (laughs) Uh, well on on the tv series what what is the series that you've been watching or or have finished watching recently do you know what i tend to do right i'm quite lazy i don't know about you guys i tend to watch again the things i already like do do you guys do that and i I, and then i I tend to you know people recommend these this stuff to me and i end up not watching it so i'll i'll watch like say the american office yet again for the hundredth time i'll go back to the beginning i'll watch that um and all things like friends i don't know what it is about familiarity and comfort of of a series that 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 you do, um, you know, especially comedy series like that, though they're yeah. very easy to just go back yeah. in because it is—it almost is like they're a bunch of friends or whatever people yes. you know. Yeah. So, but I do yeah. like really, really. Um, I, 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 oh, I loved Happy Valley. Oh my god, I absolutely yeah. adored that. I'm so sad that's over, but but it is. So yeah, that that was a great. That's a great recommendation. If anybody, I think everybody's watched that now. But if they haven't, yeah. <laughs> Nice. And um, the very, very last thing we do is a super quick fire, either or. Um, and obviously there's no right answer here apart from one, but we'll start <laughs> off with short stories or novels. Oh, novels. <laughs> uh, TV or cinema? TV. Uh, Night Owl or Early Bird? Oh, Early Bird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, music or no music when you're writing? Oh, music when I'm writing, but no music when I'm editing. Okay. Oh, okay, interesting. Mm. Right, okay. Uh, and the last one, let's go for real book or ebook. 
real book. I think oh. I probably read 80% of real books because I just oh. love in love having them in the house. Unfortunately, that's the wrong answer. The correct <laughs> answer is ebook. It's been great having you on. <laughs> what have I asked you? What have I asked you? Audio book or ebook? Audio book or ebook then? Oh, I should have asked audio book. I'll, I'll take the point then. <laughs> well, yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll edit that. We'll, we'll fix it. We'll fix it. E- ebook's definitely my second after the the paperback. If that helps. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much to Louise for coming on to the podcast. I, I thought that was really interesting. And yeah, it was great. I like the term that she's come up with for her writing genre fluid because she's yeah. writing across all these different <laughs> genres. And to, to be honest, you know, she has. She's written memoirs, romance, crime, yeah. dystopian, speculative thrillers. I don't think we've had someone that's written quite as diverse a range of books. And it, it's encouraging to those that, that like to experiment, like to try different things, that, that you can make a career out of doing that because often you are, you are boxed in. Yeah, that's that's what we've always been told, isn't it? And then, and then it's it's been quite nice because, as you said, we've chatted to folk in the past. You've you've written across genres, not to this extent, I don't think, but but it is possible. And and there's, you know, there's techniques and there's ways to, to do that. Whether it's taking on a bit of a pseudonym mm. or, or 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 tweaking your name a little bit if you need to have a separation. But there's it's it's definitely possible. So don't I don't think people should ever feel that they're boxed in because they've written a couple of crime or a couple of sci-fi. They have to keep doing that. You know? Yeah, no, definitely. So um, you can pick up End of Story now. It's out now. And we'll put a link in the podcast description so you can pick that up. Or, of course, you can pick it up from your local bookshop. Uh, and next week, we've got another great guest. Yeah, next week we're chatting with the fantastic Juliet E. McKenna, who's written absolutely loads of books, uh, tons of fantasy novels over the last 20-odd years. And her latest is The Cleaving, which has uh, just been released and is a kind of Arthurian retelling, uh, but from a feminist's perspective, which yeah, is quite an interesting take. Yeah, sort of focusing on the women in the story and some of the mm-hmm. women that, that, that perhaps are lesser, lesser well-known, um, which, uh, you know... You always think, oh, the, the, the story of King Arthur has been told so many times there can't be a fresh telling of it, but it really is a fresh telling of it, and it, it's an interesting angle to come in on as well. So, yeah. um, you know, Julia is, as you say, a huge name in the world of, of SFF writing, and it was great speaking, being able to speak to her and, and hear about her experience in that field. So please do tune in for that episode. If you have enjoyed today's episode, however, or indeed any of our previous episodes, please do take time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever your favourite podcast app is. That really helps us to continue to get great guests on the podcast. And if you want to get in touch, you can always drop us a tweet in the Twitter machine, which is at ukpage1, or you can send us an email, which is podcast at rightgear.co.uk, or you can go via Mastodon, which is writing.exchange forward slash at page one pod. Or you can go onto our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com oh. at page one podcast. I need to add and leave that a to comment. Ever-growing, I know. Ever-growing I like list to add these things media. on to give you a taste. <laughs> uh, but yeah, otherwise, have a great week, and we'll be back next episode with another great guest. And please do check out page one extra as well if you're missing our great analysis and and definitely for those that think 
they're they're wondering where it is. It's a separate podcast feed, so you have to search for it. Yeah, independently. page one extra. It's not going to be on here. Or too. check our pod, or or it's on YouTube, and you can actually watch it all. But anyway, see you guys later. Thank you.